Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, folks. This is Troy Dooley, the host of the Beachside CEO. It has been a week or so since we have been on the air. I lost my voice while I was traveling. <clears throat> Still a little scratchy, but I am excited about this brand new series. Simon Sinek over at TED Talks did a video on Start With Why. And after watching that video, probably now a dozen or so times, uh, I had the privilege of picking up, um, I don't know, probably about 24 copies of his book by the same title, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action, Start With Your Why. And this is important. I deal with a lot of network marketing companies, a lot of of big-time publicly traded companies, large private companies, and in dealing and talking and learning about different companies, it's interesting to find out which companies actually launch with a why, which ones are growing a new division or they're bringing out a new product and they know their why. It's also interesting when I see how many don't. And as I started looking around the country at, at companies that, that Simon talked about, but also other companies, I started to realize that, <coughs> excuse me, if you're in the home-based business arena, we really need to know our why. Now, this is something that's talked about all the time, but I think very few people fully appreciate or understand it, and that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks as we go through and understand the why. It's interesting. Simon starts his book off. He says, when I first discovered this thing called the why, it came at a time in my life when I needed it. It wasn't an academic or intellectual pursuit. I had fallen out of love with my work, and I found myself in a very dark place. I I stopped right there. I mean, this is like the first page of the book. And I started analyzing this. I, I tell you, I, I, what had happened, I'd flown up to Salt Lake City. I, I was being interviewed, and I was interviewing a brand-new client. And as I sat in their war room, as they were beginning to, to put the final touches on what it was they were going to become, I was first introduced to this. And I realized, in listening to them, as they were pursuing their why, as they were digging deep, in understanding their why, I realized, man, I've kind of fallen out of love with my work, too. I love doing the radio show, don't get me wrong, but this is, 2012 has just been a crazy year. We were covering some very controversial companies, and it just was draining emotionally, physically. And I thought, you know what, I, I can relate to this video. See, the way I looked at it, there was there was nothing wrong with my quality of the work or the job I was doing. And overall, I still enjoyed it. But what had happened is I had lost that, that driving passion that I'd had. And I realized that I needed to find my why again. And I thought, man, how many people really don't know their why? They get involved in a company or a financial vehicle, a pursuit of something, and it's it's not for the right reasons. I started getting it. See, I believe, like like Simon does, that when you discover your why, it will completely change your view of the world, and it can restore the passion that you have for what it is you're doing. 
it's interesting as as he opens up this book because he says something here that I thought was was really interesting. He says, "Knowing your why is about a naturally occurring pattern, a way of thinking, acting, and communicating that gives some leaders the ability to inspire those around them." Although these natural-born leaders may have come into the world in a, in a predisposed position to inspire, the ability is not reserved to just them. And I thought about that. I thought, you know, there's many people in the world that were not born on the right side of the tracks, were not born into a political family or an inspirational family or anything like that. Then again, there's some that were that, that aren't that good of leaders. What I realized is that all of this can be learned once you know your why. And that's what we're going to be focusing on over the next few weeks in this book. But he shares some stories that I thought were pretty impactful. And I thought, man, we need to talk about these stories a little bit because this really does set apart some stuff. The first one I thought was interesting. The goal was ambitious. Public interest was high. Experts eager to contribute. Money was readily available. Armed with every ingredient for success, Samuel Pierpont Langley set out in the early 1900s to be the first man to pilot an airplane. Highly regarded, he was a senior officer at the Smithsonian Institution, a a mathematics professor who also worked at Harvard, His friends included some of the most powerful men in government and business, including Andrew Carnegie, Alexander Graham Bell. Langley was given $50,000 in grants from the War Department to fund his project. A tremendous amount of money for the time. He pulled together the best minds of the day, a variable dream team, if you will, of talent and know-how. Langley and his team used the finest materials And the press followed him everywhere. People all over the country were riveted to the story, waiting to read that he had achieved his goal. With this team that he had gathered and the ample resources, his success was all but guaranteed. Or was it? See, just a few hundred miles away, Wilbur and Orville Wright were working on their own flying machine. Their passion to fly was so intense that it inspired the enthusiasm and commitment of a dedicated group of hometown folks in Dayton, Ohio. There was no funding for their venture, no government grants, no high-level connections. As a matter of fact, not a single person on the team had an advanced degree or even a college degree, not even Wilbur or Orville. But the team banded together in a humble bicycle shop and made their vision real. And on December 17, 1903, a small group witnessed a man take flight for the first time in history. Now the question is, why was it that the Wright brothers were able to get this accomplished? Both groups were highly motivated, highly intelligent. Both had keen scientific minds. They were pursuing exactly the same goal. But only the Wright brothers were able to inspire those around them to truly lead their team. See, they knew their why. They started off with their why. I found that interesting. See, so many times if we start off with our why, we can change the world. 
See, great leaders know how to inspire people to act. Those who are able to inspire give people a sense of purpose or belonging that has little to do with the external incentive or the benefit. So many times I hear people say, Troy, it's about the money, it's about the money, it's a money story. And I just shake my head because I don't get it. Money will always follow a great movement, a great cause. There's no doubt about that. But the driving passion has to go further. I've never met a brothers in arms or a sister who were fighting for our freedom because of money. Don't get me wrong, there's some contractors who make boatloads of cash doing that. But it's because deep in their heart they've longed to make sure we have a free place to live. That's what this is about. But too many times what happens is we don't start with our why and we assume that we know everything. That's the kicker. Let me share another story. It was a cold January day when a 43-year-old man was sworn in as the chief executive of his country. By his side stood his predecessor, a famous general who 15 years earlier had commanded the nation's armed forces in a war that had resulted in the defeat of Germany. The young leader was raised in the Roman Catholic faith, and he spent the next five hours watching parades in his honor and stayed up celebrating until three in the morning. I bet you know who I've described. See, it was January 30th, 1933, when Adolf Hitler became the leader of his country. But I bet some of you that were listening today were thinking I was talking about John F. Kennedy. See, you made an assumption based on facts, but you didn't have all the facts. We do this on a daily basis. We hear somebody say something, and we assume that we know what the end result's going to be, and we turn off our brain. We make assumptions about the world around us based on sometimes incomplete or false information. And because of that, sometimes we don't learn our why. And see, when we don't know our why and we make assumptions based on partial or false information, our behavior is affected because of our assumptions or our perceived truth. We make decisions based on what we think we know. See, people fear that if they travel, travel, well, let me rephrase that. In the old days, people worried that if they traveled too far from home, they'd fall off the end of the earth. Because back then, people thought the earth was flat. And yet, when they found out the earth wasn't flat, all of a sudden, the world changed. But for generations, that was their belief. Now consider this for a second. How was your organization, your business, your family, how was it formed? How were the decisions made? Maybe you're in an organization that's succeeding. Do you honestly know why your organization is succeeding? Some of us just wing it. We try to make it happen. We we freak out. Somebody pisses us off and we go nutsoid. Because we all of a sudden clam up, our emotions run rapid, something pissed us off, and all of a sudden we never get the exact truth out. Why? Sometimes the organizations are failing, sometimes they're growing, but we don't know why. 
And all of a sudden, when they when they go the opposite direction, we also freak out because we don't know what's happening. Sometimes bad decisions can hurt a good cor- or an organization, but most of the time we're just shooting from the hip. See, some of you listening may have thought of Adolf Hitler, but the exact details fit John F. Kennedy. Everything all the way down to the date. See, we cannot go around with assumptions. We cannot go around doing this because when we do, it screws us up. And and sadly, this is what most people do. Most people go through life making assumptions that they understand what's going on. Sadly, a lot of those assumptions are born into us at a young age. I should say drilled into us at a young age. We're told that we were born from the wrong side of the tracks. We were sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally abused. We tried to succeed at something and we failed several times, so we gave up. Because we assumed that we knew what was going on. I made a decision the last couple of weeks why I wasn't on the radio show. Paige and I have decided that we're going to go build a brand new network marketing company. I had one of my clients that, actually the client I went to where I listened to Simon for the very first time. Our family fell in love with this company. And I told Paige, I said, you know, until I can go to the network marketing community and and get their permission, I can't build this business. Ken Dunn, my business partner, one of the founders of this company said, Troy, just make the freaking decision. I said, no, I can't do that. When you gain people's trust, the last thing you want to do is violate that trust. So I shot a video and I asked the community, hey, what do you guys think? And every one of them said, dude, we think it's awesome. We're still going to be following you, listening to your blog post, doing stuff like that. It was rocking. It was awesome. And people say, well, then, Troy, what was the why? Why did you decide this? Because the most important thing in my life isn't being the voice of network marketing. It's not being number one at what I do. It's knowing that I've done the best for my family, that I've given them a life that they can be proud of, that my my daughters can go to the schools that they want to go to, that my son can have the life that he wants, that my grandchildren can have whatever they need and their parents don't have to worry about where the money's going to come from in today's society. My why is drilled so deeply into me and I found a company that believed like I do, that it's all about family. Every decision you make should revolve around your family, nothing else. See, we all, if we all can learn our why... We can make this happen. Let me share a couple other stories that I thought were very good because this proves my point. In 1965, students at the campus of the University of California, Berkeley, were the first to publicly burn their draft cards in protest of America's involvement in Vietnam in the Vietnam War. Northern California was a hotbed of anti-government and anti-establishment sentiment. Footage of clashes and riots in Berkeley and Oakley and were beamed across the globe, fueling sympathetic movements across the United States and Europe. But it wasn't until 1976, nearly three years after the end of America's military involvement, 
the Vietnam conflict that a different revolution ignited. They aimed to make an impact, a very big impact, even challenged the way people perceived the world worked. But these young revolutionaries didn't throw stones or take up arms against an authoritarian regime. Instead, they decided to beat the system at its own game. And for Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, the co-founders of Apple Computers, the battlefield was business and the weapon of choice was the personal computer. See, the personal, rev- the personal computer revolution was beginning to brew when Wozniak built the Apple I. Just starting to gain attention, the technology was primarily seen as a tool for business. Computers were too complicated and out of the price range of the average individual. But Wozniak, a man not motivated by money, envisioned a nobler purpose for the technology. He saw the personal computers a way for the little man to take on a corporation. If he could figure out a way to get it into the hands of the individual, he thought the computer would give nearly everyone the ability to perform many of the same functions as a vastly better resourced company. The personal computer could level the playing field and change the way the world operated. So he designed the Apple I and improved the technology with the Apple II to be affordable and simple to use. But see, here's the deal. No matter how visionary or how brilliant a great idea is, no matter how great a product is, it isn't worth a squat if no one's buying it. Wozniak's best friend at the time, the 21-year-old Steve Jobs, knew exactly what to do. Though he had experience selling surplus electronic parts, Jobs would prove to be much more than a good salesman. He wanted to do something significant in the world, and building a company was how he was going to do it. Apple was the tool he used to ignite his revolution. In their first year of business with only one product, Apple made a million bucks in revenue. By year two, they'd done $10 million in sales. In their fourth year, they'd sold $100 million worth of computers. And in just six years, Apple Computer was a billion-dollar company with over 3,000 employees. See, Jobs and Woes was not the only people taking part in the personal computer revolution. They weren't the only smart guys in the business. In fact, they didn't even know much about business. But what made Apple special was their ability to build such a fast-growth company. It wasn't their ability to think differently about personal computers. See, this is the key. What made Apple special is they've been able to repeat the pattern over and over. Many of their competitors haven't been able to do this. But Apple successfully challenged conventional thinking within the computer industry. Matter of fact, they did it with all the small electronics. They did it in the music industry. See, with them, it wasn't about the, 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 the product. It wasn't about the system. It was their why. And we're going to get into that in the book, but here's what it was. Apple wanted to inspire people to have a personal experience in such a unique way that they would become evangelists for what was going on. They would feel like they owned the company. And that's what's happened. Made them, matter of fact, now they're the, they're the most profitable and, and biggest company of their type in the world. I think they're the most valuable company worldwide. It's interesting. Here's another story I want to share because this is a little different. Matter of fact, it may irritate some of you, but I think it's important. 
He was not perfect. He had his complexities. He was not the only person who suffered in a pre-civil rights America. There were plenty, and there were plenty of other charismatic speakers. But Martin Luther King Jr. had a gift. He knew how to inspire people. Dr. King knew that if the civil rights movement was to succeed, if it were to be a real lasting change, it would take more than him and his closest allies. It would take more than, a, than the rousing words and the eloquent speeches. It would take people, tens of thousands of average citizens, united by one vision to change a country. And at 11 a.m. on August 28, 1963, they would send a message to Washington that it was time for America to steer a new course. The organizers of the Civil Rights Movement did not send out thousands of invitations, nor was there a website so people could check the date, but the people came, and they kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming. All told, a quarter of a million people descended on the nation's capital. They got there in time to hear the words immortalized by history delivered by a man who led a movement that would change America forever. I have a dream. Now here's what's so unique. A hundred years before this, politicians had fought over civil rights, had ripped the country apart by the ideologies. And yet a hundred years later, one man that inspired a nation Change the course of this of this world. It's one of the craziest, wildest things. See what all these leaders have in common is that they led. In Apple's case, they only have six percent of the market in the U.S. and about three percent of the market worldwide. Apple is not the leading manufacturer of home computers. Yet the company leads the computer industry and is now a leader in other industries as well. The iPhone is the number one sold smartphone in the world. Martin Luther King's experiences were not unique, but yet he inspired a nation to change. The Wright brothers were not the strongest contenders in the race to take the first powered flight in air, but they led us in the new era of aviation. It's amazing. Where have we gone wrong? We think it's always somebody else that's got to change the world. It's somebody else that's going to make a big difference. But I'm telling you right now, it's us, you and me. If we know our why, if we're driven by something beyond money, if we're driven by something that goes deeper than just lifestyle change. I've been preaching this for years. Deep down in your gut, you've got to want a life change. You've got to want something bigger and be part of a movement that will change the world. In 1977, Art Williams and a handful of people said, we want to change the way middle America buys life insurance. We want to show them that the life insurance industry, which was the largest industry of its type, was screwing middle America. And they took them on and they won. 
and the life insurance industry has been changed ever since. In the 80s, Howard Schultz came back from Italy and saw the excitement and yet the relaxation that the Italians had drinking coffee. And he said, I want to change the way America looks at coffee. People had stopped going to the town square. They aren't there anymore. People don't have houses with front porches anymore. He said, I want to create a place that's the third place in their life. They have their home, they have their work, and they'll have Starbucks. They'll have their home, they'll have their church, or they'll have Starbucks. He wanted to be that third place, that place where people could congregate and communicate. And people said, you can't do that. Nobody's going to pay five bucks for a 50-cent cup of coffee. And yet, Starbucks is the largest company of its kind. It's revolutionized not just businesses, but several different industries, including nonprofits. It helped connect a nation to something besides the economy and war. The economy went down and Starbucks flourished. It's amazing when you look at their business. Now the question is, as we close out this hour, are you ready to act? Are you ready to take control? It's not just the Wright Brothers, Apple, Dr. King, Starbucks. It's the Disney Corporation, Southwest Airlines, Harley-Davidson. These companies are driven by men and women that inspire people to act. I think it's time that you start inspiring people to act. It's time that you inspire yourself to act. See, when we do that, all of a sudden we stop trying to assume what we don't know. We start moving forward. Tomorrow we're going to start learning about manipulation and inspiration and what's the difference and how, it, how it's part of our culture and we don't even know what's happening to us about 95% of the time. You're going to be amazed, but my, I guarantee you this, when we get done with this series, if you have studied it all the way through, there is no way you will not know what your why is. You will understand it, and you will move forward to it. That's what it's about. Folks, Troy Dooley, the host of the Beachside CEO. Live life like it's an epic adventure. Stay dangerous. Stay strong. And if you're in network marketing, act like it. Be back here tomorrow morning right here. I'm the Beachside CEO heard around the world on the Home Business Radio Network.